the Bible reminds us there's certain things that are worth fighting for. Our faith is worth fighting for, and we're going to see that this morning. A few months ago, I was reading an article that actually shocked me, and it was about a guy by the name of Paul Maxwell. He was a former professor at a Bible college that I attended. He was an, he's an author. He was a part of a ministry, Desiring God ministry, that I, I read quite a bit from. I used as a resource for my life. He taught at Moody Bible Institute, the school that I had attended at one particular time. He was a professor at Trinity Seminary, which is a, a well-established evangelical seminary. And basically, in an Instagram recording video that he gave out, he said this. He says, I want to let people know that I am not a Christian anymore. I was shocked. Shocked. Couldn't believe it. So he goes on, and he says, almost in tears, he said, the article goes on and says, the man who recently wrote a book for the faith community told his social media followers that he's ready not to be angry anymore. And this is what he said. I love you guys And I love all the support and friendship I've built here on Instagram. I think it's important to say that I'm just not a Christian anymore. And it feels really good. I'm really happy. I'm really happy. And I was a little bit confused at that. It's kind of shocking to me to walk away. He goes on to say, I I can't wait to discover what kind of connection I can have with all of you beautiful people. As I try and figure out what's next. He said, I love you guys. I'm really in a good spot, probably the best spot of my life. I'm so full of joy for the first time. I love my life for the first time, and I love myself for the first time. I just couldn't understand. Still shocked at what he had written. This is the best decision that he ever made in his life. And he kind of concludes, and he seems to be speaking to the faith community that he was a part of. He says these words, I just say, I know that you love me. I know, and I receive it as love. I know you care about the eternal state of my soul. And you pushed through the social awkwardness of telling me this because you don't want me to suffer. And that's a good thing. That's a loving thing to do. And I hear where you're coming from, and I respect your perspective. Paul Maxwell joins a long list of people who have basically walked away from their faith. If you familiar with the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, Joshua Harris, he walked away. Uh, Hawk Nelson John Sanger, he, he walked away from it. And there's other people, more and more we seem to see people walking away from the faith. And as I thought about this circumstance, I thought about this issue, my mind went to some of the people that you and I know. I recall a missionary not too long ago, basically said, I'm, I'm not a Christian anymore. I've, I've kind of given up on my faith. And I always find it a bit alarming when I hear these stories because I look at these and I go, what about me? What about me? Am I solid, established enough in my faith that I would not walk away? There's no doubt that there's a huge concern of what we see going on in our culture. More and more people are writing, talking about how more and more people are walking away from the church. They don't want to have a part of the church anymore. seems to be huge. And what people are doing is they're walking away from their faith. They've grown up in a church. They've grown up going to church. And for some reason, they've said, listen, I'm going to walk away from my faith. Website, YouTube information over and over show testimonies given to this people, what they call it's deconversion or deconstructing their faith. Is what this. There's almost this movement that has become so popular that it's, it's, it's not a church, but it's like a movement of people saying, I'm walking away from the established faith. I'm deconstructing my life. There's even a book called The Anatomy of Deconversion that I'm reading about because I want to know about this stuff. 
as I began to read and get deeper and deeper into this, I found a YouTube clip by a gal by the name of Alicia Childers, and she works for Cross-Examined Ministry, a ministry that I really, really enjoy. I like. They do a lot of apologetic work. And what she does is she says, listen, when you look at this movement, there's six issues that people talk about. There's six pillars of deconstruction. And these are the six pillars. I want to give them to you because it relates to where we're going to go. These are the six pillars of how people deconstruct their life or they deconstruct their faith. Pillar number one is this. They begin to doubt the reliability of the Word of God. They begin to say, is the Bible the Word of God and can I trust the Word of God? That's pillar number one. Pillar number two, hell or eternal torment. This idea is, is there really a good God? Is a good God actually going to send someone to spend eternity away from the presence of the Lord? Is he going to send them to hell? I can't believe that. Pillar number three, penal substitutionary atonement, which means basically this. What do you do about Jesus in the life of Jesus? Did Jesus really come as God's unique son to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross? God the Father, that seems kind of cruel and unusual punishment to kill and sacrifice your own son. Number four, suffering in the world. How do people do deal with suffering in the world? They look around, they see all of this suffering, they're saying, listen, if there is a good God, what is going on in our world? Pillar number five. End times hype. What this means is over the last 20, 30 years, people have talked about Jesus is going to return and he's going to return here and maybe this way. And maybe there's been a prophet that says on this particular point in time, Jesus is going to return and people outside begin to look at this and people inside the church begin to look at this and say, well, you know what? It didn't really happen. Did we miss something? Is Jesus really going to return? Where's the promise of his coming is what the Bible would have to say. That's pillar number five. And the last pillar is this, the church. They look at the church. They look at people in the church. They look at things going on in the church. They look at all the different things that begin to get in the news about the church. And they say, listen, there's so many hypocritical people in the church that it's not relevant anymore. I see some of the things going on with pastors and leaders in the church, and I'm actually kind of shocked. So these six pillars are what they bring themselves to, to deconstruct or to get rid of their faith. And what I would tell you is this. All of those issues are foundational to our faith. We would agree that they are foundational to our faith. The Bible is absolutely foundation for who we are and what we would believe. It gives us the authority. We can trust the Bible. So that becomes a pillar to our faith. Second thing is this. It's not just the idea of eternal torment or this idea of hell. It's the idea of, are we going to live forever? Am I going to live forever beyond something that we experience here now? Is there something beyond the grave for me? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is this idea that God would want justice for people? Does he provide a way for us? Third pillar, life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. Our life is built on the unique person of Jesus, the incarnation that God in the flesh would come to us and he would tabernacle, he would live along this earth, he would do wonderful miracles, he would love people, he would offer compassion, and then an ultimate act, he would go to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. What does the death of Jesus on the cross mean to us? That's foundational to our lives. The fact that I can have ultimately the forgiveness of sin is absolutely beautiful. Another pillar of our faith. What about suffering? 
We've all suffered. Every one of us have suffered. Every one of us have gone through bad things. We just witnessed this past weekend. A, a lot of suffering going on in our world. What, what do we do with suffering? If God is a good God and he loves us and he cares, so why is there so much suffering in the world? That becomes a pillar because God has an answer for that as we look to him, as we trust him, and we consider who he is and what he's done for us. And, and what about this? What about the return of Jesus? It's not just the fact that we have missed it, but Jesus says, listen, I am going to return one day, that I'm going to return in might and power, and I'm going to right all the wrongs. I'm going to come in justice. I'm going to declare that I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One day Jesus is going to come, and we can trust him for that. We may not know all the specifics of it, but we can trust him. The Bible over and over talks about that, that we can respond to him, that we can hang on to him, that we can look to him. We can trust him for who he is and what he would do with with all of those things. What about the church? What about the church? The the church is absolutely foundational for who we are and what God would have us do. You and I, the Bible talks about, are living stones, and we are being built into this foundation. We are pillars of the church. We represent the church. We have the truth of God inside of us, and we have the great, wonderful privilege of being able to give out that truth, live out that truth in such a way that makes God honorable so we can honor and glorify him for who he is. And all of those types of things are absolutely important for our faith and what we would need to be able to live in the culture that we're living in, the society that we're living in right now. So what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is I want to look at all of these pillars, and it's going to continue to grow because all of these pillars go into other things about what we would hold to be absolutely dear in our lives. And so what I want to do is I, I want to look at these pillars from a theological perspective, from our perspectives, what would God have for our life and how we can best live for him in the midst of a, of a changing culture. And I think it's important that we look at this for a couple of reasons. Number one, I just talked about how serious it is. We all know of someone who's walked away from the faith. That's incredibly serious. I think there's a second reason, and it's a personal reason. It's this that we have this responsibility to live our lives in such a way to be a light to the world. It becomes personal to us as we interact with people all around us who are asking really, really hard questions. What about suffering? What about Jesus? What about all of these things? Do we, can we answer the questions that people would have for us? Third reason is this. Pastorally, don't we want our children, don't we want us, don't we want to be able to collectively gather as God's family to be able to encourage and help build up one another in the difficulties and the challenges of life when life is really, really hard, like right now? Don't we want to be able to come together and as pastors, as people, as as shepherds come together and help and build up each other? And one final reason is this. In the midst of a culture that seems to push God aside and push what it means to live for him aside, the very foundations of of our, our society, the foundations are being destroyed in Psalm 11. As we have the opportunity to live in that kind of culture, I want us to be able to be bold, to be able to be courageous, to be of confidence in who we have and confidence in the authority of the Word of God. I want through this series to give myself, to give you confidence in our faith and the way that we can live in such a way that will be a light to the world. That's ultimately what I want to do. Man, my heart is broken about what I see going on in our culture. And people seem to be taking the truth and they've been moving it and shaping it in things that are not entirely according to Scripture. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible to the, to the book of Jude. 
all the way to the end of the Bible. It's right before the book of Revelation, and we're going to focus on one or two verses this morning. And what I want to do is before we start getting into these pillars and the foundations and things like that, we're going to come back to that week by week. But what I want to do is I want to remind us from from the the letter to Jude, the responsibility that we have. Listen, when we saw the, the video... And as I watched some of the tributes yesterday, one of the things that kept going over and over in my mind is the sacrifice and the dedication of these people. There are certain things in life worth sacrificing for. You and I have the truth given to us. We have been entrusted with the truth. We need to be people rooted and grounded in the truth as we make this fight. So let me read the Word of God. Let me read Jude. Jude, one chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. He begins this way, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Verse 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That is going to be our key verse, that we would contend for the faith, that we would agonize, that we would fight for the faith that's been given to us. Why should we do that? Verse 4, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men, people, who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. What I want to do is I want to look at verse 3 as kind of a key text this morning and ask the question, why should we contend for our faith? Why do we need to fight and agonize over our faith? Father, we, we are reminded just this past weekend of just the seriousness of life. Father, we're grateful for the freedoms that we have, the freedoms that we have to gather this morning to worship freedoms that we have to sing to you, freedoms that we have to read our Bibles and study and to live for you. And Father, we are living in difficult times. We are living in challenging times. And and Father, the culture seems to want to force us into a mold, and yet, God, we're called to live above and beyond that culture. And Father, we don't want to do that with arrogance. We want to do that with compassion. We want to do that with grace. We want to be people who love you and ultimately point people to the truth of who you are. Father, I ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things from your word this morning as we talk about this issue of contending for the faith. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So over the next couple of weeks, I want to come back to this. This is a little Jenga game. We're going to build a foundation, and we're going to look at each of those pillars and how it relates to us. And what I want to do this morning is this. I want to just take talk about the letter that Jude writes here and the important opportunity that we have to contend or or to live for our faith. Notice at the very beginning, Jude tells us who he is. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, Jude would be the half-brother of of Jesus. He would be the brother of Jesus, James. James, who was a pillar in the church. They were were brothers. They were siblings. They were uh, a family together. But but notice how Jude, notice how he identifies himself. He, He doesn't boast about his relationship. He doesn't brag about his relationship. He doesn't say who his family was. He just simply identifies himself as this. I am a chosen servant of Jesus. I am a 
bond servant of Jesus Christ. I have come to an understanding of this Jesus who I knew very, very intimately. I've come to an understanding of him as the Messiah, and I've come to an understanding that I need to be his servant. My life is radically transformed, changed in such a way that he is no longer my brother in a physical sense, but I am a bond servant of the church and a bond servant of his message. And notice what he does. He cares about the people. He has this heart. He cared about the very people to whom he was writing. In verse 1, he affirms that they are called of God. They have been loved of God. They are kept of God. They were rightly related to God. They were very, very secure in their relationship with God. We know Jesus. We've embraced him by faith. We're resting in him. We're trusting in him. We are a part of this wonderful thing called the family of God. And that's probably on his mind. He's probably wanting to write to them about their common salvation. But notice what he does at the end. Look at verse 20. To 22. He jumps to the end and reminds us the responsibility that we have in our life. The way that we live our lives is important. Notice how he ends in verses 20 to 22. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. What I take from the way that he begins and the way that he ends this letter is this. You can't be complacent in your faith. You can't be complacent in your faith. You cannot put your faith as on the side burner. He can't, Jesus can't be the secondary. He can't be the third. He can't be the fourth priority. Jesus needs to be the absolute center of our lives. And we have this tendency to allow things to come in. Maybe things come into our hearts and minds to become complacent in our faith to say, well, you know what? I'm going to wait and I'm going to get on that next day. I'm going to take care of that sometime. I'm going to get really serious about my life in the future. And when Jude is saying, listen, you can't do that. Notice what he says. He says, build yourselves up. It means this, that there is a foundation. The foundation ultimately is going to be on Jesus Christ. The foundation is going to be on the word of God. And what we must do, it's our responsibility to always to continue to build on that foundation. He's saying, listen, don't become complacent. Don't think you've got it all. But you need to continue to build on that foundation that Jesus Christ has established. Keep moving forward. Notice what else he says. You have to have some kind of connection with God. How would you do that? Through your prayer life. He said, pray in the Holy Spirit. At the basis, it's got to mean this. Do you spend any kind of time with God throughout the week, throughout the day? Do you carve out those times of wanting to pray for someone else or or wanting to pray or connect with God on a, on a deeper level? That's what he's saying. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to motivate you to pray. Notice what he says in verse 21. It means keep. Keep has the idea of this. Guard what has been trusted you. In other words, keep your eye on what's going on in your life. Am I keeping an eye on my spiritual life in such a way? Because false teachers and all of these other things are going to come into my life. But am I keeping an eye on my spiritual life? To want to grow, mature, move forward. In verse 22, he reminds them of this. Listen, there's going to be people in the church that are going to doubt. That's what he says. Be merciful to those who doubt. There are people, Thomas doubted. Some people, the doubts creep in. And there's a, a good reason why. Maybe something has happened in them. Maybe they're suffering. Maybe they don't fully understand things. But how do we respond to them? Do we just cast them off? Or do we say, listen, I'm going to have mercy. Let's come alongside. Let's help each other. Let's build each other up in the faith. Some people are going to doubt. 
So, so Jude is addressing something from a pastoral kind of role, from a heart that wants to help people engage in the foundations of our truth to motivate us to live in such a way that God would be honored and glorified. Two important truths from this text that I'm going to deal with about contending for our faith. The first one is this. Recognize what you are contending for. Recognize what you are contending What are you and I contending for? Look at verse 3 again. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. I want to point out something here. Notice how he begins that, dear friends. If you go down to verse 17 and verse 20, he just says the same things. Dear friends, you know what that means? Beloved. The beloved of God. We're the family of God. We are part of God's family, and we love each other, and we care for each other. We have this wonderful bond of love because of who Jesus is and what he's done. We're a part of the family of God. And then what does he do? He challenges them to not grow complacent. He challenges them not to fall prey to false teaching. He challenges them not to get involved in sin. In other words, we have this idea in our mind that it's really unloving and it's really unpopular for us to speak the truth of God to another person when in fact it's the absolute opposite of what's going on here. A loving, kind, gentle person who knows and understands God's truth will what? They will speak Truth to another person. What Jude is doing, he's warning them against false teachings. Don't get involved in sin. Go back to the illustration that I read from Paul Maxwell. Remember, he walked away. I believe he's addressing people in the church when he says these words. I know that you love me. I know and receive it as love. I know you care about the eternal state of my soul and you push through the social awkwardness of telling me this because you don't want me to suffer. And then he says this, and that is a good thing. That's the loving thing to do. Listen, the easy thing to do is to walk away and say nothing. The difficult thing to do is because when we love somebody, when we care for their soul, what do we do? We speak the truth and love to them. And I think that's what James is doing here. James is saying, listen, because I love you, because I care for God's people, and I want to protect you in a spiritual sense, what am I going to do? I'm going to speak the truth to you. What does he do? So he starts out and he says, I love you. I care for you. I want to remind you of the common salvation that we have. We're all going to be in heaven together. We're all going to celebrate together. We're all going to worship together. And then all of a sudden, somehow, way, the Spirit of God directs and changes this, what he's going to write about. The Spirit of God moves him. Look at verse 3. I felt I had to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Some of you may have a version that says, I'm compelled to write, which means this. He's so concerned. He's so distressed. He's so bothered about what's going on that somehow, some way, the Spirit of God is moving him on the inside that he says, listen, I want to remind you of something that's really, really important in the church and that you and I need to contend for the faith. We need to fight for the faith. I'm so bothered on the inside. I'm so touched on the inside that I need to do something. Think about Paul. Acts chapter 19, he gathers the Ephesian elders together. He's getting ready to leave. He's taking them off and he... And he warns them, he says, listen, I want you to know something. That when I leave, false teachers are going to come in. And I told you that message with tears in my eyes. I proclaim to you, I share with you with tears in my eyes that this is going to happen. 
That's the same attitude that Jude has right here. He said, listen, I care for you so much. I care for about your spiritual being. I care about what's going on in your life. And what I want to do is I want to remind you that you and I have this privilege to contend for the faith. What are we contending for? It says this, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith, the Christian faith, the faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Not one of many faiths, that's what we hear about all the time. Not a type of faith, but faith based upon the historical person of Jesus Christ. Faith based upon the word of God, the life of Jesus. Jesus going to the cross, offer himself as a sacrifice. Isaiah chapter 53 predicted in the Old Testament that Jesus would come and offer himself as a sacrifice. He would bear the wounds. He would bear the sin. of All of those things, the, the relevance of who Jesus is and what he would mean to us. John 14, kind of six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's a message that's not welcomed in our culture today. Exclusivity of who Jesus is. Acts chapter four, verse 12. Remember what that says? Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What you and I have been entrusted to are the hard words of Jesus that lift the unique person of Jesus up, of who he is and what he's done for us, and the message that you and I have the privilege of proclaiming. Are we contending for the faith? Not just living for the faith, but contending for the faith. Jesus had hard things to say all the time. In the Gospel of, of John, all these people are following Jesus because they've seen the miracles. They want to be around him. And he begins to teach some really, really hard things. And all of a sudden, he looks around and half the people are gone. And he turns to his disciples and said, by the way, do you guys want to leave too? You guys ready to leave and pack up and go do something else because of my hard sayings? And Peter says, no, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is the cornerstone of our life. And what we are doing in the unique person of Jesus, we are putting together our lives based upon who he is, based upon what he's done for us, building a solid foundation. And by the way, when you go to 1 Peter, it talks about you and I embracing the cornerstone of Jesus and also you and I being built up into the church as living stones. Notice what it says, 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Verse 6 and 7, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. Jesus is going to be the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone of our life. And those of us who put our faith and trust in him, we're not going to be put to shame. As we look to him, as we trust him, what's going to happen? We are going to be built up. You and I, it talks about our living stones. We are precious, that I'm a part, I'm a stone in the church. You are a stone in the church. We are building, being built up together into a place that honors and glorifies the Lord. Paul wrote the same thing in a different way. Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, trust, believing in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What are we contending for? We are contending for the faith that's been given to us in the unique person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, Acts chapter 4. That is a very difficult message for us to preach and proclaim in the culture that we live in nowadays. 
What are we contending for? We are contending for the faith. And the reason we have to contend for that faith is because people are going to come in and try and change it. If you go back and look at verse verse 17, it says, Jude says this, I want you to remember the Lord Jesus, and I want you to remember the apostles, and I want you to remember the embodiment of truth that they learned from Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They were with Jesus. And what he did was he gave them this foundation of the truth. And I want you to go back and look at his life and emulate his life and listen to the things that he said. That's why in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when the early church came together, what were they talking about? They're breaking bread, they're sharing together, there's a sense of awe, and they're hanging on to the apostles' teaching. That becomes the foundation of our life. That becomes the foundation of our faith. And we've got to hang on to that foundation. And you and I are entrusted. We are challenged to contend, to agonize, to fight for the faith that's been given to us. And that's not an easy thing to do. Paul, writing to his young protege, his young son in the, in the faith, said these things in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He knew and recognized the responsibility that had been given to him. Notice what he writes. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Notice what he says. What what keeps us in the faith? It says when we guard what has been trusted to us, when we guard the foundation that's been given to us, when we hang on to those things, when we help each other, when we build each other up, when we look to those things, we are guarding what has been trusted to us, the responsibility that's been given to us to take the message of Jesus out in the world. Second Timothy, same principle. Notice what he writes, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy, what you heard from me, what I taught you, what I gave you about the Lord Jesus Christ, the foundation that I gave you, I want you to keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ as the foundation. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard with it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Do you see what's going on there? Paul's saying, Timothy, you need to guard what has been trusted to you. Jude's saying you need to contend for the faith, the once-for-all faith that's been given to us, the faith, exclusivity, and the unique person of Jesus Christ. You and I have been entrusted with that incredible, important message. We're going to have to fight. We're going to have to agonize because the responsibility that's been given to us by Jesus. Notice what else he says. He defines the faith in a very concise an important way, the face that was once to fall delivered to us once for all. There's not added revelation. He's simply saying, at this particular time, in the unique person of Jesus, when he came and lived on this earth, the apostles knew who he was. They took his teaching, and they laid the foundation for us. And what we need to do is we don't have to add any kind of revelation to that. There's no other revelation that we need to add to. What we have is fully complete in the Word of God given to us, and we can look to it, we can trust that, and we can emulate what's going on in life because we have this embodiment of truth here. That's what he's talking about. The once-for-all faith given to us has been entrusted, has been handed down. That's what Paul said to to Timothy. I I, I passed it down to you. Now I'm, I'm giving you the entrustment of this. Will you... Take it and run with it. Will you run with it? Will you motivate other people to do the same things? A couple weeks or so ago, um, we had a, a call from a family that wanted to do kind of a service on our field out here. 
and the service was for a guy by the name of Dion Brandon Green. And uh, it was a young guy that was a, a, a part of our um, church at one particular time, kind of grew up with the children and grew up in a Diana's ministry. And, you know, we never know the impact that we're going to have on people's lives. We never know what's going to happen. But this guy died tragically uh, not too long ago. And, and I came across the, the program uh, for the order of service, and it has a unique paragraph in it that I thought it relates here of this idea of being able to live in such a way that we are contending for the faith. And this is what he says under his life reflections. Dion confessed to hope in Christ at an early age under the leadership of Pastor Michael Fowler at Tabernacle Memorial, God and Jesus Christ Church. He later attended Hope Church in Berkeley, Missouri, where he attended summer camps, vacation Bible schools, Wednesday night Bible study, and he grew a great love for Sister Diana Fisher. I read that and I thought, you know what? That is the impact that Diana had on the children, that she is living her life and her ministry is proclaiming in such a way that what we want to do is make sure that we are contending for the faith, that we are teaching our children what it means to know in Jesus, to embrace Jesus, to live for, for him. So what Jude is reminding us here is that there is going to be a fight, and what we need to do is we need to contend for the faith. Second point I want to pull out is this. Recognize that it's worth fighting for. If this is the once-for-all faith that people need to embrace, you and I have been entrusted with a stewardship with a message to take that message of Jesus to other people, and I believe it's a message worth fighting for. Because people are going to spend eternity away from the Lord and from the glory of His power if they don't embrace it. Embrace it. That's the responsibility that you and I have been given. To represent as ambassadors who Jesus is and what He's done. Look at what He says again in verse 3. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend. It's interesting that the word contend means to fight. It has the idea of agonize, but in the Greek language, what, what Jude does is he adds a preposition to it, which is kind of un, unusual. But, but when you add a preposition to this word, what he's, he's simply doing is this, I'm intensifying. It's not just I want you to get I, I want to urge you to get I want you to agonize over this. I want you to fight for this. We agonize when we see people going down the wrong path. We agonize knowing how difficult it is. We agonize because people are going to spend eternity away from the Lord. We agonize over those issues. And he's saying, listen, I want, to, I want to urge you to contend, agonize over the thing. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to fight through it. Agonize has this idea of, of fighting through difficult things. Do we agonize over that? Are we complacent in the message that we have? Are we, are we contending for Are we fighting the message that we're, we're giving here? Paul over and over warns Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. I fight, and when I fight, I don't, I don't just box the air. I, I fight with a purpose. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the, the, the armor of God. Prayer talks about the weapons that we have, this, this idea that you and I are in a spiritual battle for the souls of men. And I think what Jude is simply reminding us here is this. We've got to contend for the faith. That there are going to be people that have come out, and they're going to try and destroy the very foundations. They're going to throw things out about the Word of God, and they're going to talk about the person of Jesus, and they're going to talk about suffering, and they're going to talk about the hype in the church, and they're going to talk about the hypocrites in the church. They're going to talk about all of these things, and what they're going to do, they're going to try and slowly erode and knock down the foundations that we have. And that's how people are deconstructing. 
They pull out a part here, pull out a part here, pull out a part here, and all of a sudden their faith has been deconstructed and they walk away. And it's a serious issue. It's a serious issue in the church. So if you and I are to contend for the faith, let me just give you four things real briefly and we're done. And they're all from Jude. They're all from the end of the book. Four principles for us as we walk through this, as we build upon this foundation, as we look at these pillars of deconstruction, four principles for us to hang on to. Number one, build yourself up in the faith. Don't be just dependent upon coming here on a Sunday morning. That's one thing. But are you, the the idea of build yourself up, Build yourself means you're taking responsibility for your faith. You're doing the hard work. You're moving together. You're meeting with someone or reading a book or or getting involved in the Word of God. You're being active in your sanctification. You're building yourself up, studying God's Word. Number two, have some kind of prayer life. Have some kind of prayer life. Paul says, or Jude says, to pray in the Holy Spirit. Am I consistently doing my best to spend time with God. Maybe it's in my car. Maybe it's before I go into work. Whatever it is, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop life where I'm at. I'm going to confess my sin, and I'm going to be in a relationship with God, knowing that I cannot do these things by myself. I'm going into a war zone at my work or at my school. I cannot do these things on myself. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit of God would guide and direct me and give me wisdom. So we're building ourselves up. We're praying in the Holy Spirit. Number three, keep yourself in God's love. Paul says this. He said, be imitators of God and live a life of love. Looking to Jesus who offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. Jesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. How do you live a life of love? You look at the sacrifice of Jesus and what he's done. In other words, we give our lives away. We know what God has done for us and the unique person of Jesus, and forgiving us of our sins. So what we want to do is we want to live that kind of love out toward other people. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I recognize what Christ has done in my life, and I want to live that kind of love to other people. People are watching the church. People are walking away. So build yourselves up, pray, keep yourself. And then the last thing is this. In the midst of the challenges of life, we wait for hope. To contend for the faith means that we're going to wait with hope, an expected hope that one day Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back. He's going to take us to be with him. And all of these things, all of life, all the struggles of life is going to be done away with because we can trust him for who he is. We can trust him in the past. We can trust him in the, in the present. We can trust him for the future of what he would do for us. So let me ask you, where are you at in building your foundation? Are, are, are you trusting in Jesus and the Word of God? Are you trusting His death on the cross for your sins? Are you embracing the church and the specific role that you would have in the church, the, the unique place that you... You know, you're one of these. You're a living stone. You're, you're one of these. And somehow, some way, you come in here and you fit in here, and you're a part of this. And, and we, as living stones, are, are building each other up in a common faith so that we can honor and glorify the Lord and contend for the faith. Father, our hearts are broken when we see people walk away from the church. But I know that every one of us knows someone who, who's walked away. It might have been a, a, a young person. might have been somebody as old. It could be a missionary that 
has been a part of our, our ministry here. And Lord, while it's confusing, we, we simply turn to you and ask that you would continue to allow us to grow, mature, and not be complacent in our faith. Father, I pray that you would every day open our eyes that we would see who you are and what you've done for us. And that you love us, that you care for us, that you give us meaning and purpose in life. And that you've called us to live beyond ourselves, to live a life that points ultimately to Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. And Father, I pray that you would help us to contend and to fight for our faith. God, to be bold, to be courageous, to trust you, to walk out in faith knowing that you have given us a responsibility to fight for the truth. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for their partnership. Thank you for the great privilege we have of being here this morning. Father, I ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.